What drives and guides your church and your family? Is it the latest popular method? Is it what you grew up with, even if it's wrong? There are many people that borrow from culture and they try to intermingle it with scripture. Recently, the Southern Baptist Convention tried to marry intersectionality and critical race theory as analytical tools subservient to scripture concerning the social justice movement. However, many people are kicking back and many people voted to have that in place called Resolution 19. But we have the word of God. And is that sufficient enough for all things? Well, today we're going to have a special guest, which I will introduce right after our introduction. Let's take this time to stop and think about it. Hello? Hello, anybody home? I think McFly thinks. I'm thinking, I'm thinking. What were you thinking? I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. Don't say anything now. Just think about it. You're listening to Stop and Think About It, a podcast for the Christian thinker. In a day when sound biblical preaching has been replaced by man-centered entertainment and the church has become increasingly anti-intellectual, this podcast will encourage believers to think biblically and theologically. So please join me as we get ready to stop and think about it. So just what do we do concerning family marriage and church and the scriptures today on stop and think about it i have glenroy also known as the west indian wordsmith i'm your host phil the bronx expositor and we have special guest scott brown of is it hope baptist church is that correct that's it and also the president and director of the national center for family integrated churches did I say that one right? You did. Okay. Amazing. Very good. So uh, I met uh, Brother Scott Brown at the G3 conference in Atlanta this past January, and it was just really a glorious time on worship. And so we began to speak together about possibly doing some ministry together, which hopefully we're looking forward to do around November to have an online marriage and family conference and information will come out concerning that called the gospel centered family. And we agreed to do a podcast today and we'd like to interview him and just kind of see what makes him tick and uh, where his heart's at with marriage, family and the church. So welcome brother Scott. Thank you. I really appreciate being here. (laughs) So tell us, um, how did you come to know Christ? You know, I grew up in Southern California and I was a barefoot, you know, pre-hippie. And there was a massive revival going on in Southern California. It was called the Jesus Movement. Yes. And and thousands and thousands of people were being saved, really saved. Uh, it was perhaps the greatest revival in modern history uh, that took place there. And there were several things that happened. That was happening. Also, uh, I was going to a high school, and there were missionaries that were coming to my high school from Campus Crusade for Christ at that time. And then my father, the most defining thing that happened is that my dad took us out of a liberal Methodist church and we went to a place where the word of God was preached. And those three things all converged together. And God saved me in the middle of this pagan culture of Southern California. Wow. So were you, were you a surfer at all? I was, yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I, think... I, spent the, I spent the first part of my life in the Pacific Ocean. Wow. I think the uh, the key to surfing is to try to look as much like seaweed as possible, I've heard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> With your hair all, did you have like long hair and everything? I did. Wow. <laughs> all right. Did you did you know or do you know Ray Comfort who had uh who who got saved as well and was a surfer and lived in Southern California? I didn't know him. No. He's okay. a, he's a, I think he's a little bit older than I am, but we were, you know, we were in the swimming in the same water. 
You both look about 25 years old to me, if you ask me. (laughs) (laughs) It's very interesting that preaching that got you. It wasn't programs. It wasn't, you know, it it was just the preaching of the word, right? And that's, I, I, I think you should elaborate on that because I think some people think, you know, it's a program or inviting people out to a barbecue. And it, it's really just having the word of God preached clearly, right? Right. God appointed preaching for the salvation of sinners. And it is, it is as the apostle Paul said, foolishness, mm. but it wasn't so foolish to those who are saved by it. And so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, nothing fancy, just simply the preaching of the word of God. Mm. And uh, and I think I would just add to it. Uh, I was reading the Gospel of John during that time, right? Mm. And I'm I'm I'm, I was saved reading the Gospel of John. Mm. Mm. In fact, it's funny. I'm preaching through the Gospel of John now. I've done it twice since I've been saved, but I I I cover over those. I go by those phrases that just absolutely blew me away when I was in my teens, they just dropped me to the ground. And they're still so amazing to me. I, you know, that Jesus is the bread of life. He's Mm. living water. Mm. It's just, I can't get over it. It's, they're just so beautiful. And and the Lord saved me with, with those realizations. Wow. Amen. How old were you as a teenager when you got saved? Early teens. You know, there was a period of time. There was a range of time. I don't. I don't know the day I was saved, but there was this period of time where I, I was hearing, you know, preaching and testimonies, and I was reading the Bible all at the same time. It was almost like God was pulling in this rope. And then I remember, at some point, I realized, Lord, I'm here. I'm yours. I don't want. I don't want anything else. I don't. I don't want this world. I want you. Mm. And that was just that realization that I was there. He reeled, he reeled me in. There you go. He's the only one that could have done it. I've been teaching yeah. on uh, the new birth and how, uh, how the new birth is a sovereign birth. It's a monergistic birth. Uh, it's a supernatural birth and it's a scriptural birth. And that's what it sounds like your testimony is. And, and like yourself, uh, God saved me uh, at 13 years old and saved me mm-hmm. from uh Man, a life that I definitely would have gone the wrong direction in my sin. So thank God. Whenever he saves us, he saves us. But, um, you know, like Glenroy pointed out and like you testified, uh, the preaching of the word is what grabbed you. And that's what grabbed me. And that's what grabbed Glenroy as well. Um, It's not magic uh, because you were at another church, quote unquote. But if a church doesn't have the gospel, I mean, what is that? (laughs) <laughs> and I think there's a lot of social gatherings, religious social gatherings that are just kind of wasting their time. Um, they should probably pack up and go home or bring someone in who, who does know how to preach the gospel. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember, I remember one time when I was in high school and I was at a party, I wasn't a big partier. I, I actually was kind of a good boy, but I remember sitting at this party and, and these people were drunk acting crazy and i remember sitting there in the corner of the room and it occurred to me like a ton of bricks what they're doing is bad news and jesus is good news i'm out of here so the southern baptist convention adopted two a resolution resolution number nine which has to do with using critical race theory and intersectionality as analytical tools, critical race theory being that people are in two, one of two categories, either the privileged versus the marginalized or the oppressed versus the oppressor. And then the intersectionality would be that oppressed group and how many points of oppression that they have based on the what's called the matrix of oppression, a chart where they consider those that are oppressed to be someone perhaps who is black or lesbian or a woman or disabled um, or lesbian. And so it's pretty much everything except for white, male, Protestant, heterosexual, uh, because those would be the oppressors. And so the Southern Baptist Convention adopted these as called quote-unquote analytical tools subservient to the gospel um, 
was that was that something that you agreed with or do you think that that um went against the sufficiency of scripture yeah it went against the sufficiency of scripture because uh it sought to define humanity in ways that scripture doesn't define humanity christian relationships are defined by the word of god man is man is male and female uh man uh man has duties all all men and women have duties it's very very clear that there're no distinctions there's really no such thing as race we're all one blood so uh, all of this uh, all of this talk about racial distinctions they they don't really exist they're they're soci- socially manufactured uh entities god though tells us everything we need to know about how to treat one another and we don't we we don't need another analytical tool. We tried this before the church, you know, began to embrace modern psychology. Carl Jung and Carl Rogers and Freud and the church picked up, you know, psychological language. Thankfully, the biblical counseling movement rose up and said, "No, scripture's sufficient. Let's let's talk about people's problems in terms of what the Bible says. Let's talk about biblical sins. That's the problem." Yeah. You know, it's it's not your Oedipus complex; it's your lust. Let's let's put names that actually describe the situation. But you know, when 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 evangelicalism does this, I think we should just recognize that evangelicalism has done this for a hundred years, but uh, and and really escalating probably in the nineteen fifties when we saw radical radical new movements rise up within the church uh you know the 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 psychological syncretism you know of the of the mid-century was an example of that then you get into the 1970s and you you have the seeker sensitive movement Mm. uh then you have the emergent church movement uh and these are all just rejections of the sufficiency of scripture it's this is nothing new and it's not surprising and and it, it doesn't surprise me that it that these things are promoted in the places that they're promoted because the heart of the matter is they've not really received the proposition that scripture is sufficient, that scripture is all they need. They're looking for some modern tool to get them to another level. Well, there is no other level. God's word is pure. So, if we're going to learn how to understand the social structure of any nation, the word of God and the word of God decodes all the problems. Yes. So. Amen. Amen. And, and it's, it's the use of language. All the, all, all these, all this terminology that you, that you cited, yes. this doesn't come from the word of God. This, these, these words don't come from God. Right. And, and that is why Jeremiah said, do not learn the ways of the Gentiles. Right. Uh, imagine how we feel, Scott. We we have to learn all these words, kind <laughs> <laughs> of understand it to to converse with people, and it's mind numbing. Yeah. It's mind numbing because at the end of the day, and I think you would agree, it's sin. It's it's a sinful mm-hmm. heart of man, and all the permutations that come from that are, are pointless to kind of unravel mm-hmm. it because at the end of the day, it's we're at fault. I think one of the things that you would probably agree on is that when we don't use the sufficiency of scripture, we can blame the wind. You know, we can blame anything for our problems. Mm-hmm. And right. it, it, I, I think Phil brought it up because it's just such a dangerous th- prospect to for the church where people are looking for answers to then say, hey, let's go find out what the world is doing. Right. Amen. Yeah, I was I was reading this morning, early this morning in the Psalms, and I was reading the words of David. I've stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child before its mother. Well, that's what a Christian is a Christian is a person who wants God. A, a, a Christian is a person who's humbled himself and is seeking God, not anything else. All other all other gods you know, are abandoned, and the Word of God becomes the way that we live. So that's the sufficiency of Scripture. Yeah. Because like you said before, the inerrancy just means there's no errors, but the, the Bible can just like sit on your desk and say, okay, well, listen, I don't believe it has any errors, but if you don't pick it up, 
and let it guide your life, your family, right. your church, then it's just mm-hmm. kind of sitting there collecting dust without errors inside of it. But what good is that if it doesn't affect the way that you think and the way that you live and the way that you move uh, in your life? And and I would agree. It, it speaks to every single avenue and aspect and facet of our lives. And what do you do as a pastor when, you know, these various movements, and you've named several of them already, the emergent church movement, uh, the, the psychology movement, the social justice movement, and whatever other things have come in just collectively as a pastor, what did you do to uh, combat those things with the people in your church? Yeah, I want our people to understand that there's only one Savior, Jesus Christ. And there's only one authority, the word of God. And so what we do in our church is we preach the word of God. I I want to grow the affections of our people toward the word of God. Mm. I want, I want that to be the reason why they come. Uh, Not because of anything, not the, the, the fellowship in our church is really sweet. I don't want them to necessarily come for the fellowship. Right. I want them to come for God for the word of God. So if they, if, if I'm having a sense that there's a growing sense of love toward the word of God and appreciation toward it, that our people are saying in their hearts, Oh, his ways are pleasant ways. All his paths are peace. And they're trusting in the word of God. And then when a subject comes up, they think, what does the Bible say? They don't just pop off with their opinion. Like, that grew up out of this culture, they try to think biblically and they, I want them when a subject comes up, I want them to think, think it through from Genesis to revelation. I I want them to see the whole counsel of God and how it interacts with this, this situation, this problem, this subject. And I really, I, I, I want my people to, to go back and think through from, from the creation to the final glorification and to, and to, to cat, to, you know, uh, to evaluate things with that grid, to have an interpretive grid of the world. That's that is from the word of God only. So, so basically you want them to stop and think about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There you go. I like that. Stop it. Man, that would be a great name for a podcast. That would be a great name for a podcast. Glenn, we got a coin. No, I, I, no I have a question. Uh, <laughs> now I have a question for you in that vein. You know, I know that Phil started Soul Fishing Ministries with this idea of that, you know, equipping people to go out and preach to the lost because that that's something that although it's happening it's not systematic systemic it's not it's not taught it's not something that's emphasized and 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 i i'm just once again i just want to go back to this idea that what made you feel like hey the sufficiency of scripture seems to be lacking in the church and you know we're going to talk about the family but just in the church in the way that christians look at it like what what spurred you on because you know we stop and think about it soul fishing ministries we're not coming up with anything new you know this is not some revolutionary thing no one's ever thought about but it, it just seems like in society it, it, in the church cyclically it just goes away all right what what made you feel like hey this is something i want to focus on god has placed me in this position to focus on this yeah, so you know when I became a Christian, uh, I my pastor, uh, who really he really took me under his wing. I'm so thankful for this man in Southern California, and uh, he believed the Scripture was sufficient for sure. Uh, he loved Jonathan Edwards, mm. even even though at the same time I grew I grew up in a very pragmatic Armenian culture, you know, Christian culture there in Southern California. But what what he implanted in me was this was this idea that was scripture was all that we needed. So I, I went on and uh, you know I became a pastor when I was twenty six years old. And but by the by the time I was in the mid nineties, and the seeker sensitive movement was raging, and I was part of promoting it in my local church. I began to get really disturbed about what I was seeing. And 
I began to read the Puritans. I read a book called God in the Wasteland by David Wells. And that pushed me over the edge. And I thought, what have we done? What have I done? And I, I realized that I, I had imbibed this pragmatic spirit in my approach to everything. Mm. And as I just began to read the scriptures and as I began to read the Puritans, uh, I came to the conclusion that scripture was sufficient in a whole different way than I dreamed before. Wow. So that's what happened. And so that set me on a journey uh, to really continue to pursue, you know, all these things. And it really, ha it really has everything to do with the sufficiency of scripture. Amen. Are you in, yeah. still in the same church since you were 26 or? No, no, I was in California. Calif oh, now you're and, in. And, and, yeah, in North Carolina. And then I, I, I was part of starting a church here in North Carolina and uh, in uh, 2001, I went and planted uh, a church, and that's a what people call a family integrated church. Um, so we've been doing that ever since. So you never got kicked out. Spurgeon got kicked out. So that's actually a good uh, badge of honor. <laughs> <laughs> so the family integrated church that you started, um, because I didn't hear about the family integrated church until man what seven maybe seven years ago if you will i started to hear um about this um how did you kind of come across not a new concept but how did you see this in scripture and then say i'm going to start a church um with this model uh as our you know um in our church well, well, and it's fam it's family integration. Just the baby's crying, and he stays and preaches, still preaches. Pretty much. <laughs> oh, I love it! I love it. Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Yeah, there's nothing. There's there's really there's nothing to it. There's not much to say, frankly. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, let the let the children hear the preacher. That's mm. you know, let them say have them sing the songs. Not not kitty sermons, but you know. So you know. Um, I began to make some observations in my church and I realized that like there were no fathers in our church that were actually teaching their children. And I was reading Deuteronomy six and Psalm 78 and I was reading about the duties of fathers. And I thought, you know, our fathers are so busy. We have all these programs going and they don't they they can't even have family worship because we have them busy every night and so i i, I it hit me everything we're doing is depriving these families of actually having biblical family life mm -hmm. so um you know in one elders meeting i remember early in the morning i made this big chart on the chalkboard and um, on the top, I wrote down all the different ministries we were doing. They're like, I don't know if there might've been 20 different things we we're doing. And I wrote down, are they for equipping? Are they for evangelism? And, and are, do they, do they fragment the family? Mm. So every single thing we did fragmented the family. And I said, you know, our families can never worship together. They can, they can never, worship they can't worship together at home either because mm. we're so busy and i said we we need to we need to take a couple of these check marks off you know because these families are fragmented and they can't even fulfill the biblical commands of family life wow so that was a that was a big wake-up call for me and uh and also um even the godliest men that I knew, they were losing their children. Yeah, yeah. And 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 um, now we don't like to use those terms, black church, you know, white church. But in the neighborhood where I grew up, even though it wasn't biblical, yeah, everybody was there. We never told the kids to leave. I mean, mm -hmm. we if they made a noise, the preacher kept going. If you wanted to focus on the, the the preaching, you would focus. If you wanted to focus on the children, you would focus on that. 
And my first, you know, and I, and I went to a reformed church, had the right doctrine, I read everything. And it was like, if you, if you, if the chair creaked, everyone looked at you and the, everything stopped. And, and I was like, this is not necessarily a, not bad. I'm glad that you want to hear the preaching of the word, but it's not in a vacuum. You know, it's, it's a beautiful process and, and the children need to hear it because, um, yeah. a lot of kids don't know the gospel and they've been in church their entire life. Yeah. Until they're 18, that's the first time I've ever heard a, a, the preacher say anything. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, you know, as I was listening to you, I was thinking back to uh, my days as a uh, when I fought in martial arts and a lot of people were doing all these fancy things. And my instructor would always say, just just stick to the basics, mm. you know, and, and yeah. I could just almost see you uh, at the chalkboard. Um, like R.C. Sproul used to have <laughs> and uh, and just saying, you know, listen, what, what, you know, what are the bare bones of Scripture? What has he told us to do and what are we doing? And uh, and do the two actually match? You know, um, I forgot who said it. Uh, they said, you know, before you remove a fence, pause long enough to see why it was put there. But if he needs to go, he needs to go. And so, you know, we have these 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 fences in the Word of God, and we've moved them, so to speak, and we've tried to do other things and try to, you know, put fancy lights and other thing. And and really, we just need to stay on the rails. Um, and when we do so, there's safety in that. And your uh, your materials, um, actually, along with Vodi Bakum, Paul Washer. And a book I read called The Nursery of the Holy Spirit um, divided the movie, which you put out. They really just flipped my whole mind, almost like what you did in the on the chalkboard in your church. Like there was a chalkboard in my head, <laughs> and things began to get reevaluated. And instead of sending my kids out of the service, then I started keeping them in the service and they had to start taking notes. Um, you know, I had kind of different expectations for my younger one, my older one, my younger one had like a little worksheet that she had to fill out, but it was something to look at the preacher so that for 18 years, I'm not sending them out. And then like Glenroy said, the first time they hear the preacher is when they're 18 years old. And by that they're out the door. Because we've trained them for 18 years not to listen to the preacher. But I know you made the movie, divided the movie concerning youth youth ministry and doing family worship in the home. Um, give us kind of the heartbeat behind that and its impact upon families as far as you know. Yeah, I mean, the whole proposition of that film is if, if all you had was scripture, would you divide the church by age? And... <laughs> If really, if if you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, the overwhelming, really the exclusive pattern in the Bible is that the church is a, is a generational community. It's not a generationally divided community, and uh, there are just dozens of places where that's where that's very very clear. It's it it just is. It runs through all the narratives. If you if you want to. If you want to make a case for dividing the church by age, you you can't go to the Bible. You got to go somewhere else. You, you, but Scripture is sufficient. So, is are the pictures in the Word of God enough, or do we have to go out? Are we going to go out to John Dewey? Are we going to go out to, you know, some other educational philosopher? Uh, and what ha what happened historically is that the church actually fell in love with John Dewey's educational model. Yes. And adopted it. That's basic that's basically what happened. The church was 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 agenerated really up until about the 1850s. So but but you know then then we began to build churches that look like schools. Yes. <laughs> yes. So. I I I, yeah. I I work in the public school system and so I've had people tell me when I've talked about this model we're talking about now, or I shouldn't say this model, just, you know, the scriptural approach <laughs> to family in the church um, that uh, they would tell me, you know, yeah, but kids need to learn, you know, at their own uh, age level and, and what have you. And they're trying to, to tell me basically that I don't know what I'm talking about. 
And I said, well, <laughs> number one, I have a master's degree in education. And all of that is based, like you said, on the John Dewey model. And he also, I believed, uh, had the evolutionary model in mind as, oh, yeah. as, yeah. as well yeah. as uh, believe that children uh, belong to the state, not the parents. And mm-hmm. so then we've, we've adopted that model and try to marry it into the church. And then the other thing I said is, you know, I have the word of God and like, that's all I need. <laughs> right. And I was right. Um, and, and so I, I was told, you know, you raise your kids your way and I'll raise my kids my way. Right. Right. And, um, whew, those were, uh, I've, I've seen the fruit of those that have made those, uh, assertions and it's not good. You know, people, I, I've heard, I've heard that so many times. I'll tell you a story. Um, when we first started that family integrated church, there was a family that had a bunch of kids and my wife held one of the babies for four years, one of their babies for four years. So, you know, I'd be preaching and she'd hold that baby and everything like that. Um, and it's interesting because a very sweet relationship developed between my wife and this little girl. And she calls her Aunt Deborah and everything. But so I, when she was 13, I bumped into her and I said, hey, what's the, what's the first thing that comes to mind when we were in church and your Aunt Deborah used to hold you? I'm, okay, this was a newborn baby up, up, to, up to, you know, four years old. And um, she said, without stopping, she said, oh, what I remember the most is whenever Aunt Deborah heard a prayer and it moved her heart, she would say, mm, amen. Or if a song was get, was getting sung, she'd go, mm, amen. Or if the pastor would say something, she'd go, mm, amen. And she said, that's what I remember. This idea, hey, children learn one step at a time. Yes. They pick up one thing and they pick up a little more and they pick up a little more and they pick up a little more. And my, Hey, my view is they don't need kitty sermons. Yeah. They don't, they don't need baby talk. They need real talk about real stuff and they'll learn a little bit each time. And, and and this is radical teaching method. Um, That's even more radical than John Dewey called discipleship. And, you know, the, the like I'm, I'm I'm as you were talking I'm thinking about Titus when it says the older men teach the young men, right. women teach. It, it, this idea that a, another 17 year old is going to teach another 17 year old, they're from the same group. What what does the other one know? He doesn't know. It has to be an <laughs> older, more mature believer teaching a younger, less mature, older person. No, I'm not talking about intelligence. Just hey, this is how things work. This is what I've learned over my many years, and that's how we grow. You don't. You don't go to, you know, a guy who just because he's really smart, who has no life experience to tell you how to, to run your marriage. It wouldn't make sense. But I think that's what we've adopted or, you know, or that only, that they can only you cannot learn that way. It, it's just like you said, you learn by doing. Why can children learn five languages at, 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 at age six, seven, eight, nine, ten? It's because they're absorbing everything. Right. If that was the best right. method, why we all don't know how to speak 20 languages, because at a certain point we've kind of learned and ingrained what we're going to know. And so if you if you wait and I think, you know, this better than I do, if you wait until they're 16, 17, it's, it's a lost cause. They, they've already been trained in the ways of the world and now you're untraining them. Yeah, it's, it's a difficult yeah. process. Yeah. But, but I, I wanted to ask you one question from that. I'm sorry. I, 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 I just want to make that point, but I wanted to ask you one question. You talked about what kind of what kind of brought it to your attention, right? You're seeing all these activities and things going on. What changed once you started changing the focus? Did you see a change? Was it the same? Was it noticeable? I think that's what most people are interested in because you know you either at a church that has this process in place, integration, or you are a church that doesn't. But I don't think a lot of people know what that process looks like as it changes. Yeah, so I've been doing this for you know about twenty years, mm. and uh, so I've I've got had a little bit of road work on this. <laughs> I am I am extremely delighted. I would never go back. Mm. Uh, hey, there's a massive impact on young people when when you constrain youth culture. Massive. 
they grow up faster. Hey, the young men in my, in my church. Hey, hey, I've got 18, 20 year olds going out buying their own houses now because they're not because wow. they're not following the culture. They're not playing games. They're not wasting their life in sports and video games and stuff like that. But it, and and they you know and, but they've heard advanced preaching their whole life, mm-hmm. and they're different. Now, and, and frankly, uh, we're not losing our, our, our loss of young people to the world is minuscule. Mm-hmm. It's That's minuscule. Yeah. Um, it's nothing, it's nothing like in the modern church, which is maybe upwards of 80%. Um, it might be 5% in my church wow. over to after 20 years. Wow. Okay. <laughs> oh, so, That's amazing. Yeah. And do you think, because there's movies called God's Not Dead. Now, let me just qualify. You know, we've had some people leave our church. Right, right. Uh, and, and went a different direction. Uh-huh. And, it did, and, and for some of those, it didn't go very well. But the, <laughs> but the ones who've really stayed and who, and who really grew up where the sufficiency of Scripture was the foundational principle of the church, you have a different kind of youth. Wow. Uh-huh flat out definitely definitely now there's this thing called god's not dead and there's been a series of movies where uh a christian um young man a woman leaves the nest and they go to a secular college even even a christian college and then they're confronted by the world and this big drama about is god you know and that's the professors anti-god and they don't know how to deal with it and you know just listening to you talk i'm thinking to myself well, I wonder if they heard biblical preaching or they were separated. And so they, they don't know how to answer these questions because they're not thinking about Scripture as being sufficient, right? It's, mm-hmm. a, it's, a, it's a separate part of their lives. And so when they go to the, the, the university, like, what do you think? Do you think when they go to university, are those people who have been exposed to the, to the gospel clearly and then can articulate it? Or are they people who had a little segregation from that? And so they're just kind of doing what their parents told them to do. Well, the unconverted heart mm. will be swayed by the world. Right. So I would I would go back to a, a conversion. Right, right. Because the converted heart doesn't want to walk with the world. The converted heart looks at the professor who's preaching evolution to them and says, that's ridiculous. <laughs> They're not. They're not. They're not swayed by it because they, because they've been born again. They, Amen. they've been born by the water and the spirit, and uh, so they think differently. Yeah, mm. yeah. I, I, I would, I would more chalk it up. I would just more naturally chalk it up to not being converted rather than something else. So, that makes sense. So, what about kids that? maybe come into the church, uh, teenagers, and their parents don't come and their parents aren't saved. Um, what do you do with like these young men, these young women who don't have parents that would raise them um, in the home and teach them in the home? Uh, how does the church help them um, to grow and to stay connected um, and, you know, kind of, I know that, you know, if, if somebody wasn't giving in the offering, the church wouldn't give for them. But at the same time, if the, um, if the kid doesn't have parents that could do the job, then what is, what does your church do concerning those kids? Right. Well, the beauty of the church is that if you don't have a father, you get lots of new fathers. (laughs) Amen. Amen. And you get and you get lots of new uncles in the Lord. You get you get pastors. You get deacons, and you're you, you get absorbed into a, a community where you where you do have a father, and you do have a mother. You know, every every motherless boy can have a lot of mamas in a, in a local <laughs> church. It's awesome. You know, you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't have to have an intact family. Yeah. You know, if you got a church, you got yourself an intact family. Amen. That's the beauty of the local church. The, the, the local church comes around 
and deals with all the brokenness in these families and it absorbs people into a real family and and the rules for the family life and the church are so awesome you know love joy peace patience kindness i mean you cannot find a better family than what the church is properly func- properly functioning according to scripture yes right. so right. so yeah i hey there's broken families everywhere and their kids without fathers everywhere yes so 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 what would your number one advice be to a pastor someone listening you know they're, they're you know young pastor old pastor he, he's seeing he's seeing this kind of detachedness in his church what's your advice you know what would you say hey step one well step one uh, he would need to convince his church that scripture really is sufficient and mm. He might need to take some time to do that. And uh, how would he do it? Well, he would preach the word, and <laughs> and he would he would just make it plain how applicable the word of God is. And he would he would help us people begin to think from Genesis to Revelation about everything. Mm. So whatever the Bible says is true, and it offends even though if it offends you, it's because because you don't know God well enough. You know, I, I, I spent a couple of years preaching through Deuteronomy about a decade ago. And, you know, the laws in Deuteronomy sound really strange to our ears. Mm-hmm. But here's the reality. If they sound strange to your ears, is because you don't know what righteousness is. <laughs> Amen. You know, and God's telling you what is a righteous law. Mm-hmm. So I, I, w- I would want to spend some time just preaching in such a way where the confidence level in scripture is high so i would begin right there at the same time i would i would i would try to encourage my fathers in my church to follow my preaching and teach their children what i'm preaching on Mm -hmm. and i would try to get them on board with me to be the teacher of their children and their wives, what I'm preaching on the next Sunday. So I would, I would want to, I want to, I want them to sort of become scripture interpreters in their home. I want them to become theologians and I'm going to, and I'm going to encourage them to just read the Bible every day to their family. And they're going to say, well, how do you do that? You know, how train me, how do you train people? Well, the training I give the men in our church it takes 30 seconds. And here's the training. Get your family together. Open up your Bible. Read it. And ask them what was awesome in there. And then pray for each other and pray for the lost. Hmm. So you're trained. Don't come back here for training. Just open your Bible. That's all you need to do. So it's the, the word of God is powerful. Hey, when a father does that, the earth, everything changes in a family. Yeah. So it sounds like, you know, um, I, I coach sport teams, sports teams, and it sounds like you're just coaching them and you say, listen, here's what you got to do. All right. You're the player now get in a game and, and make it happen rather than, all right, you know, uh, you know, we need a 15 week course on how to train your family. <laughs> You know, I about about eighteen years ago, I was I was at a conference and and I said something like what I just did, and this man came up to me. He was a brand new Christian. He said, "My pastor told me that I couldn't read the Bible to my family until I had read Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology." <laughs> I said, "I said that's hey. not an easy read." So <laughs> I said, "Hey, go ahead and read that, but." You know, crack open your Bible and just read it to your family. There's not just you don't you don't have to understand it all. Just read it to them. You know, you'll understand it in time. Right. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I, 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 my, when my son was young, his name is David, and I could tell him the story of David and Goliath a hundred times, and it would, it, you know, it, he would love it. It, it. There's nothing magical. It's it's gonna penetrate your heart. It's the Word of God. Yeah. 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 So. What do you say to uh, to singles um, concerning that are looking um, and hoping toward marriage one day? And 
um, and how that connects perhaps with people that are all are already married in the church and and those you know one relationship influencing another relationship because then what tends to happen is uh, all those that are single kind of navigate together they form a clique and then the marrieds form a clique and you know um, so what are you doing your church to like you said before sufficient script scripture is sufficient and you have a huge family yeah. So, yeah. So you got a generational family, you know, a few years ago, a guy who was a, a singles pastor and had a big singles ministry around here. He, he came to me in the cover of night, you know, he didn't want anybody. To know What's his name? Nicodemus. Nicodemus. <laughs> <laughs> teacher, and teacher. He was at, yeah. I think he, he, he might've read, I don't, I, he heard a sermon or something, but anyway, he said, uh, he said, Mr. Brown, you know, I've got this singles group and it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a big singles group. And he said, he said, I don't think that they're, I don't think they're maturing, uh, by being together, you know? And I said, well, duh, (laughs) you know, (laughs) because, because they need spiritual fathers and mothers, yes, yes. you know, they need, they need mature people so that they can mature. And they also need little kids and they need to, Hey, the, you know, the, those singles have a remarkable opportunity to be a blessing in the church. You know? So what I would say to singles is use, use your single years for the greatest advantage of the kingdom of heaven. You are, you know, you have freedoms that you'll never have if in God's providence you're married, but, you know, become, become like Jesus Christ. And then people say, well, how do I prepare for marriage? You know? And I say, don't, don't prepare for marriage. (laughs) Don't prepare at all for marriage. Become like Jesus, because if you become like Christ, you'll, you'll know how to love your husband or your wife. You'll know how to love your children. If the spirit of God is filling your heart, by the way, you know, the family life codes in Ephesians 5, they start with be filled with the Holy Spirit. Everything, all the duties of husbands to their wives and wives to their husbands and children to their parents and par- parents to their children, all of these assume the filling of the Holy Spirit. Mm. They assume the person of Jesus Christ working. So um, singles just need to become like Christ. Yes. And they can be massively useful, uh, in, you know, in a local church. You know, we've got a bunch of singles in our church, and I've had the joy of marrying a bunch of them. But they're not all married yet. Most of them really do want to get married, right? Right. Know? But I, I tell them like this: Hey, nobody gets married until God wants them to get married. Sure. And so don't don't worry about it. There are enough. There are enough men and women out there. There really are. And God controls every synapse of every brain in the world. And, and at some point he's probably going to light somebody up toward you. (laughs) Super. And it'll be supernaturally too, because you know, that's the way God does it. (laughs) Oh, I'm taking notes. (laughs) (laughs) So I know that you have, um, the national center for family integrated churches, uh, as it's a parachurch ministry. Is that, and how does that connect with the local church? Yeah, of course, you know, our whole mission is to proclaim the sufficiency of Scripture right. for church and family life. Yes. And so, uh, you know, our, our our view really is the, the family needs a local church and local church needs to equip families. So the, hey, these two institutions, the church and the family, are the two gospel preaching discipleship institutions that God created. These are the two most powerful institutions in the world. Uh, They are uh, Jesus Christ founded the local church. Jesus Christ created the family. So these two institutions are God created institutions and he designed them perfectly uh, for the evangelization of the next generation. If if you grow up in a family where, where the word of God is preached and where family worship happens, you're going to hear the gospel 10,000 different ways mm. across, you know, thousands of years of history. 
And, you know, you, you're not going to go hear a gospel message and walk an aisle. You are going to know the God of the Bible and his son, Jesus Christ. And you're going to understand the contours of his love and his wrath across all the generations. So, you know, um, it's it's very, very important that you have families that are functioning. Um, the One of the problems in churches is they get they get people from families. And if you have a messed up family, you're going to have a messed up church. You know, if you have people who can't figure out how to love each other in a family, those people are going to up in your church. They're probably going to divide your church, too. They're going to not be nice. They're going to be slanders <clears throat> and they're going to be unholy people. So you want you want holiness in families. You want families that are saturated by the word of God so that when they send their children into your church, you have mighty disciples who've been brought up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Hmm. So the church and the family are the two pivotal institutions. You know, our name, National Center for Family Related Churches, actually isn't a very good name for what we do. By the way, I haven't talked about family integrated churches in a long time. This is the first time maybe in six or eight years Hmm. I've even talked about this. Uh, I talk about church life and family life and the sufficiency of Scripture uh, and, uh, and the power of the gospel working through those two institutions. So... Yeah, churches are critical. By the way, I, I'm just, I just finished a book. I'm getting to re- ready to release it called The Family at Church, How Parents Are Tour Guides of Joy. Uh, 20, 20 days to transform your experience in your local church. Here's what I'm saying in this book. I'm saying, look, God gave a family a local church and give them 10,000 reasons to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God by the singing in your local church, teach them to sing, help them engage fully in the singing, help them engage fully in the preaching, help them engage fully in the fellowship and all the things that happen in a local church. This is a book that I've written for young parents Hmm. and the chapters are really short, 20 chapters that can be read in like 10 to 12 minutes. And it's really designed to tell parents, Hey, the most important place you ever take your children is a local church. Milk it for all it's worth. Uh, you know, squeeze the preaching for every ounce of good that you can. Squeeze the songs for every amount of gospel sweetness you can. You know, that's what this book is. I just want to encourage parents to go for it in a local church. So it sounds like one of the things that you do is you just encourage parents to basically echo from the pulpit and from the congregation what's happening um, from one from the gathering of the body and then just mm-hmm. echo that in the home so mm-hmm. if you're singing these hymns in the church then sing those hymns in the church just uh, in the home uh, more choir mm-hmm. uh, rehearsal if you're mm-hmm. if you just preached on uh, whatever you just preached on. So I just preached, I'm preaching through the book of Jonah. And then we put discussion questions on our weekly uh, schedule so that parents can take them home and now discuss things with their families. And Mm -hmm. then if there's a single who doesn't have, you know, a family in the church, then we've encouraged them, you know, just get involved, Mm -hmm. call up a family. And so we've done that. We've done that one uh, young lady in our church, uh, she just joined our family on the phone <laughs> and we just discussed together, um, which sounds in conjunction with what you were saying. You have a lot of fathers, you have a lot of mothers, you have a, a, a great big family. And so it sounds like there is a nice, you know, kind of connect the dot from the family to the church and the church to the family. Um, and that is just, oh, yeah. it, it just speaks of such consistency um, such diligence, such repetition, um, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and, and just yeah. such a sure bedrock and foundation that you're, you're really hedging around the families and around the kids, the gospel from all angles. And, uh, I mm-hmm. mean, that just sounds like a wonderful thing. I, I wanted to ask you though. Um, so I do catechism, um, as well in our home. Um, is there particular something that you encourage families in that regards as well? Oh, I think that's really great. Hey, I, here's a confession. Okay. Um, I wish I had done more with catechisms. Okay. 
but but what we did in our family is we read through the Bible every year for over a dozen years, and um, I we I I didn't have enough time to fit in a catechism. Gotcha. But if I had to do it, my, all my kids are grown and married now, um, and I got twenty three grandchildren. Oof. How about That's that? That's a quiver and a half. So, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but I, I w- if I had to do it over again, I would have had, I would have had, a, I would have had us memorize a catechism. Yeah, I would. It's good. It's for you, you get some really helpful, you know, global understanding of things through the catechisms. So I'm glad you're doing it. I, I didn't do it. I wish I had. Yeah. I try to do, um, catechism in the morning. Um, and we still sing, and then we do family worship at night, um, so that they're kind of getting hit <laughs> to unlock the day and and lock the night up, if you will. Um, yeah. Hey, what what I what I want what I want to what I wanted to do, and I, what I want parents in our church to do is I I want them to see the goodness of Jesus Christ. I want them to see how wise, how good how loving, how powerful, just how wonderful he is. I want them to say, wow, his name is wonderful. And so when it comes to family worship, that's how I, in our church, our local church, it's the same thing. I mean, every sermon, basically, I want to say just how, how, how good God is. Amen. Amen. So as far as, um, the marriages uh, in the church. Do you ever have uh, older couples mentoring younger couples of, or, or any sort of thing of that nature? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have older. You know, there's a tremendous dearth of kind of Titus two women in churches today, um, and I think that's because of the of really a loss of a sense of the sufficiency of Scripture. And so young girls don't see themselves as growing into Titus two women, but yeah, I, I, Hey, I'm praying for a, you know, a rising crop of Titus two women. My wife is one of those. She's She's a tremendous help to the, to the younger women in our church. And so, yeah, the older are supposed to teach the younger. So you want older men and older women teaching the younger. Um, so yeah, that's, I think the Bible just makes that really plain that that's, that's what it should look like. Amen. Amen. As far as uh, pastors um, and kind of putting these things out there to their congregations uh, and greatly encouraging people, listen, scripture is sufficient. It's scripture is sufficient for our, our church. Scripture is sufficient for family. Um, you had mentioned that we need to communicate it through every venue that we have. And how does a pastor maybe just check themselves to make sure they're staying on the tracks of that? Well, we do see through a glass darkly. We do grieve over our weaknesses and our lack of insight or blindness. Uh, The apostle Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am and a pastor, you know, can only throw himself on the word of God and on the mercy of God and say, Lord, help me, uh, you know, help me to keep on, on track. You know, we are, we are mere men Mm -hmm. and we go through periods of greater and lesser passion for the Lord. We go through periods of dryness and, where you know our flesh hates hates prayer, and then we go through periods where our flesh is longing for prayer. So I, I feel that's a great question. I, I know I'm I'm just babbling on here, <laughs> um, but I think okay, a, a pastor should every day have time in the Word of God where he's not he's not in the word of God for any preaching for anything except just the soothing and the instruction of his soul Mm. where he has nothing to do, but just feed 
no other motive except to be holy. I think a man needs that. It's really easy to get wrapped up into everything you're doing. You know, you're thinking about how you're going to communicate it, you know? Well, we have to do that. That's part of our calling. Right. But if that's all it is, then we're going to go cold. Sure. Sure. Uh, it's, that's, that's like the death knell for, for the pastor, right? He's only studying for sermons and Bible studies and he's not feeding right. his own soul. Amen. Yeah. I want to I ask yeah. you one final question though, back to something with children. What do you say to parents who, um, they're divorced and maybe one parent is a believer and the other parent is not a believer. Um, you know, the kids live with one versus the other, and like, let's say the father has to, uh, you know, the father visits, you know, the son or the daughter. Um, how do you instruct, you know, maybe a, a father to impact their child, their child for Christ or the children for Christ? Um, you know, when that, you know, that, that brokenness of, of family is there. Hmm. Sure. Seek every, every every legal possible opportunity Mm. to, to bring the word of God into the lives of those children. It's his, it's his word that changes everything. So I know there's so many different, very difficult situations that are very heartbreaking and all, all a man or a woman can do is what they can do. And it'll be harder uh, it'll be more frustrating, you know, because they don't have, you know, they don't have the contact that they long for. But I think that that father, or that mother needs to be a holy man or a holy woman, mm. you know, full of the Holy Spirit and and ready to really bless that child with every, every good thing from God. And to, maximize their time as best they can hmm. in, a, in a really broken situation. Here's the reality. God knows it's broken. God is sovereign and it's not hopeless. There's no situation that's hopeless. None. Amen. Amen. Cause God is spirit. Amen. Just goes back to the sufficiency of scripture. Right. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah. Good advice. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Look at the families in the Bible. There's there's not a single family in the Bible. It's not a broken family at some point, yeah. at some place. Uh-huh. You know, the, no. those are the, the the only role models we have in the Bible are broken ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> David was a good example of that one. Uh-huh. Amen. Yeah, Abraham just start start at the beginning and go all the way down <laughs> the line. God deals with broken people and we shouldn't we shouldn't think it's over for us. Amen. Amen. I mean, even the first family was broken, right? <laughs> didn't, <laughs> it didn't take too long. Wow. Yeah. Well, we, uh, we really appreciate your time, brother. Um, this was definitely a, a time of learning and really it's going to be in the ears of everyone who listens to our podcast and hopefully beyond. Uh, Cause these are things people are grappling with uh, pastors, mothers, fathers, children, um, you know, uh, we're hoping that, you know, children hear this as well. Um, you know, they can listen with their parents. Um, but I, I really appreciate your heartbeat and that it just beats the sufficiency of scripture for, uh, the home and the church and may all our hearts uh, have that same heartbeat, uh, because I believe that's the heartbeat of God. You focused on the reality that he created these, these institutions, the marriage and the, the the family and the church. And those are the two disciple making institutions. And so our children's lives should be flooded uh, with these two institutions. And we should just have such a high view of them because we mm, see how amen. many people out there want to tear them down. And, mm. uh, and there's a, there's always been an attack and, I don't know if it's ramped up right now, but it is loud right now for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. How can we pray for you and, and the ministries that you're involved in? Well, uh, of course the, the, 
you know, I had wear two hats. I'm a local church pastor. Yes. That's really the heart of my whole life. And I also am connected with about 500 churches in our network and, and network of churches. And, um, you know, our, our mission is to proclaim the sufficiency of scripture for church and family life. These two jurisdictions are under attack like never before. Uh, the attack of the government on the jurisdiction of the church, uh, the attack of uh, the philosophical Marxists yeah. on the church and the family are astounding. Uh, the attacks on the church and the family and these the preservation of these jurisdictions is, is I believe, going to be one of the greatest battle points uh, before us. And, you know, can't will families preserve a biblical jurisdiction in their family our church is going to preserve the biblical jurisdiction that god gave them mm. you know there's a rule and authority in the family and a rule and authority and a sovereignty and a jurisdiction that must be preserved and you have you have all kinds of attacks against that medical tyranny and all kinds mm. of things like that that are before us uh Hey, for the for the for the first time, you know, in my lifetime, the government is telling my wife what she has to wear. Oof. Yeah, yeah. That's an encroachment on the jurisdiction of the family. Yes. Mm-hmm. So uh, the governments of the world are ramping up their attacks on these two jurisdictions, and it's for us to stand on the solid rock of the Word of God and preserve them the way that God ordained them. Amen. Amen. What is the uh, the website for the, your parachurch ministry? It's uh, ncfic.org. ncfic.org. Churchandfamilylife.org. Yeah. And if somebody was in North Carolina, correct? Um, what would be the website for your church? Uh, hope Baptist Church dot info. Hope H O P E Baptist Church dot info. Okay, Amen. Well, brother, thank you so much for this opportunity. Um, you've been a great blessing when we met. Um, you were just very, very kind, and uh, you just have the sweetness of the aroma of Christ uh, upon you, and um, that uh, that definitely drew my attention in to uh, to speak with you and uh, I feel like you've been very gracious toward me um, so thank you so much and we look forward to ministering again and thank you for all the resources that you've put out there um, to help marriages to help families to help children to help churches uh, it truly is needed for such a time as this um, to just point people back to the sufficiency of scripture amen thanks Phil and Glenn what a pleasure thanks so much for uh Uh, talking to me tonight. I've really, really, really been blessed by it. If you would like to contact us, please email us at stopandthinkcrew at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at www.stopandthinkpodcast.com. This podcast is listener supported by generous people like you. You can give a tax-deductible donation at our affiliate ministry at www.soulfishingministries.org and click on our donate link to give securely through PayPal. Thank you for listening to Stop and Think About It.